I'm sitting all along. Yeah. What it is is what it is. Hit tonight. Hit just a few seconds if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 209 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I am joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? Uh, in recognition of Clarissa Shields mm. proclaiming herself to be the, quote, the greatest woman of all time, mm. I've renamed my junk the, quote, <laughs> the greatest wiener of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Had to be done, son. Had to be done. Well, you can tell we're in the uh, dog days of summer, Vin. Hey, you know, it's like I tell him, Ken. My up and, my, I might not be that long off the tee, but my up and down game is pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, welcome to episode 209 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Podcasts, and drop by the Boxing Rant YouTube channel and subscribe. Today, follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. Vin, um, it is the end of June. This is the busiest uh, week at the uh, the Eastern Shore here um, in Maryland for vacation time. Everybody's going on vacation this week leading up to July 4th weekend. Yep. I'm actually on vacation from work, yet sitting here on a Monday evening recording episode 209 with nothing to talk about <laughs> but guess what people need their fix vin and if we don't give it to them there are people that are scratching their necks and bodies all over looking and fiending so with nothing to talk about on episode 209 then let's just freebase what do you think hey that's what that's what i've been doing <laughs> since the early 90s ken freebasing Oh, man. All right. We got a little post fight and some news and notes. We'll keep it short and sweet, but we know that you could not make it through your week, especially if you're sitting out there on the beach with your earbuds in watching the waves crash. You know what? It's just not the same without the dulcet and lucid tones of Vin and Ken here at the Boxing Ranch. Is that right? <laughs> I'd like to think so. But personally, I'd be sitting there with a, uh, you know, with a cooler iced up Coronas at the side. And probably listening to a little bit of reggae. Yeah, or Waylon Jennings or whatever. You know what I mean? Bring a little honky-tonk, right? <laughs> Hicks and Picks, episode two. We're back, baby. We're back. All right. <clears throat> little post-fight, Vin, June 23rd from Scotland. Josh Taylor versus Victor Postal for the WBC Junior Welterweight Eliminator. The winner to face the winner of Jose Ramirez and Danny O'Connor, which is, I think, in two weeks. Yep, yep. All right, so let's get right down to the action. This was a fight, Vin, that I, I, I found very interesting because of, you know, Victor Postal only has one loss in his career, um, and it was a well-rounded and sound beating, um, being outclassed and, and outboxed by one of the very best in the game in Terrence Crawford. That was expected. A guy like Josh Taylor coming into his 13th fight, um, you know, physically matched up with Victor Postal, a big 140-pounder, but this was going to be the litmus test. Is Josh Taylor the prospect that we thought he was going to be? He himself is a big junior welterweight. Absolutely. And he came into this fight and I think um, struggled a little bit with the veteran presence of Victor Postal because when things started off, as long as Victor Postal was assertive with the jab and stayed aggressive, Josh Taylor um, was, 
I wouldn't say he was off. I would say he was probably a little confused and probably trying to assess the situation like, wow, okay, I got a real fucking fighter in front of me. Yeah, yeah, I think this was the first time Josh Taylor really for probably five, six rounds in that fight was completely confused as to, you know, ah, what, you know what's the adjustment to make here? This guy is, uh, he's on me and he's sharp as hell. And I, I, let's let's say this, I think, based on Postal's performance in his fight before this one, Everybody kind of rid him, wrote him off a little bit coming into this fight. You know, did he still have it at, at the age of 34? And, and coming out of that fight, I, I, I got to say right now, Victor Postal is a live dog at 140 pounds against anybody. I, I mean, his performance, I had it 6-2 after eight rounds in favor of Postal. If Josh Taylor doesn't win every round down the stretch, 9 through 12, and get a knockdown, he doesn't win that fight in my book. I mean, that was a 6-6 fight and a, and a fight a tale of two halves. And I think what's most impressive coming out of that is the gas tank of Josh Taylor down the stretch and the way he was able to just step on the gas and keep going and pushing an old fighter to an older fighter to the limit. Uh, you know, the work he did late in that fight was super, super impressive. And he just he, he cemented himself, in my opinion, you know, 140-pound division right now is kind of wide open, a lot of young, unproven talent. Right now, to my eyes, Josh Taylor is the most polished 140-pound fighter in the world right now. More so than Progray. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he is. I think Progray's a little bit more raw. He's, Progray has yet to step into the ring with any test that, that, could, that you could put up to a Victor Postal. I, there's just not been an opponent for him like that. And, you know, against a bigger guy like Josh Taylor, you know, Regis Progre is a good, really good fighter. And don't get me wrong, uh, you know, my opinion could change by the time these two guys get in the ring. But right now, to me, Josh Taylor is the best young 140-pound fighter. I like it. I, you know, I like that there is a fighter, um, you know, in this weight class that's making waves. And it's not just Regis Progre by himself. Um, it's not just Jose Ramirez out in – you know, the area on the West Coast where he draws so well that these guys are finally coming to a point in their careers where they're ready to fight each other. Mm -hmm. You know, you said it, unproven talent at 140 pounds. It may be unproven, but there's a lot of talent at the top of that division. Um, now, my question to you, Vin, is because, you know, I saw the fight very similarly, and I thought that this fight was super close on, on, on the cards. I thought the widest you could see it was 115-112 for Josh Taylor. Mm -hmm. And the judges' scorecards, to me, kind of took away from the performance that Victor Postal put on and the dramatic finish that Josh Taylor was able to put together. As the judges said, it was 118-110, 117-110, and one card, Van, 119-108. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a trend we're seeing in boxing, as we see with these three... 140-pound fighters in, in, in Progre, Ramirez, and Taylor, all fighting in their hometowns, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, and this is not to say th these places aren't boxing hubs, but I think, you know, is it a good thing for boxing that that's what we're seeing? Guys are building up from their, from their home base and, and branching out from there. But you're going to fucking get decisions like this, man. I mean, get ready for it. it, it it's just one of them things that, you know, is it a good thing for boxing for these guys to, to build their fan base that way? Yeah. But on the other end of things, we are getting and we're you're going to see more of shitty fucking scorecards. I mean, that that that's just as bad as Adelaide Bird in, in Canelo Triple G. I mean, this is a trend in boxing right now. It's like, all right, you know, 
it seems like five, six times a year. And this wasn't a huge fight on on a you know on on any type of level of of Canelo Triple G. It's a big fight in Scotland, but it's a big fight, and it's a big fight moving forward in the division. You know, if if you didn't watch that fight and you just were read the scores, you'd say. Well, that Victor Postal guy fucking stinks, man. Oh, yeah. Terrence Crawford, uh, he ruined him. Yeah. I mean, no. Not, uh, the, the, re- the reflection after that fight is, is terrible for, for Postal moving forward. But I think anybody who watches it knows. You know, just like you said, the widest you could see that, I think, is 7-5. And you could even, you know, I wouldn't necessarily argue that hard with somebody who gave Postal seven rounds in that fight. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the type of shit you're working with here. But to have it be that wide and to kind of, you know, over and it's not overshadowing because I think most people agree with the knockdown. Taylor won that fight. But that's if it, if you have to start your sentence with the knockdown. Yeah, it was a fucking close fight. That's that's the difference. I mean, to me, it was very similar to uh, Kovalev Ward one as far as the ebbs and flows of that fight and and what happened. You watched the fight live. I did not watch the fight live. I already knew the result. When I watch the fight, right? Okay, when you were watching that fight live, if those judges would have scored this, you know, uh, a majority draw, would you have been surprised? No, not not for a second. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have batted an eye at it. Yeah, you know, one eighteen, one ten, one seventeen, one ten, one nineteen, one oh eight. I think when people look back at the fight, if they didn't see it, if they're just reading a box rack, yeah. people that start podcasts two years from now, right. when Josh Taylor's on the scene as a champion, right? You know. Um, they'll misremember that fight, but that's okay. Josh Taylor defeated Victor Postal, um, and through this eliminator, will now face the winner, potentially. And uh, you know, if all mandatories are honored, Jose Ramirez versus Danny O'Connor, who fight in a couple weeks. Jose Ramirez will dis- dispatch a Danny O'Connor pretty quickly in this fight. Um, I know we're not previewing it right now, but this is a setup for the Josh Taylor fight. And I tell you what, man. The Josh Taylor-Jose Ramirez fight, to me, uh, I think it's juicy. I think Jose Ramirez's style, J- J- you know, Josh Taylor being a southpaw, I think it's very interesting. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, supposedly we're going to hear the lineup for the 140-pound WBSS tourney. You think both these guys are going to be in it? No, I, I don't. I think what what we're hearing now is initially Josh Taylor was in talks to be in that tournament, and and. and you know, it's not a bad thing for any of these guys to get involved because there's not really, you know, none of these guys are established. This is a way to establish yourself, much like the Super Six back in the day was a lot of unknown guys that the winner of it was going to make a name for themselves. Anybody after, you know, the first outside of the you know first and second place, eh, you're going to struggle to find a career for yourself. Uh, I, but look, I, I think Taylor and, and, and Ramirez fighting outside of the WBSS, they can fight twice. Why can't they fight in Fresno and then Scotland? You know, th- this could this could be run back a couple times over the next eighteen months, and it's not a bad thing. This the stigma in boxing of you know this the loss kills your momentum. Look, if Josh Taylor comes to Fresno in eight months or six months, all right, and loses to Jose Ramirez, but it's a great fight and there's controversy and scorecards were close and maybe Ramirez got to home cooking. And they're going to run it back in Scotland. You're you're going to get two good fights from these guys, no matter which way it goes. So they can fill their time outside of while that tournament's going on, and establish themselves as the best fighter outside of that tournament. I th- I think to me at 140 pounds, and I you know not to look past a a, a, a Ramirez fight, 
But I think Taylor Progray, to me, is the juiciest 140-pound fight you can make right now. But the WBSS is on disown, Vin. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I ain't paying 20 bucks a month. I'll be streaming that bitch. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, look, I you know, the WBSS, maybe that's going to be, you know, tailor-made for Regis Progray. Who knows? Progray's got a fight coming up in New Orleans. Uh, Jose Ramirez still to fight. WBSS says they're making huge announcements soon. They're pro- all three of them hold a WBC belt right now. Literally, all three of them. What? <laughs> Maybe they can sort that out. Right. Because that's, you know what, to me, that's really the fray that needs to be decided. Right? <laughs> right. Whose WBC belt reigns supreme? Oh. Is it the silver? Oh. Is it the interim? <laughs> is, is it the Cinco de Mayo belt? <laughs> Um, all right, so Josh Taylor defeats Victor Postal um, and is now lined up to face Jose Ramirez. That's our post-fight. I think there was a preview. Uh, there's this other guy named Ramirez. I think they call him Zerto, Southpaw, big, big giant Mexican, 168-pounder. But I'm going to tell you what right now, Vin, I think there has been no less interesting and poorly promoted fighter over the last five years than Gilberto Ramirez. This is a guy that I care just enough about to just say what I just said <laughs> right? and then move along. You'll check the headlines. You're not really caring about watching that. Oh, he won. Oh, no kidding. No. The guy, I mean, look, he's been on a run of, of fighting nobodies, and don't tell me Arthur Abraham. I mean, that was the biggest fucking mismatch. Abraham was five years past his prime in that fight. And a small super middleweight. He, he just he's is. A, yeah, he started at middleweight. Yeah, and I, he's five foot eight. Yes. You, you, come on. You know, Zerto has missed out on so many opportunities. To me, I, I know how top rank likes to operate with their fighters. They seem to have something against putting their fighters in the WBSS. And, you know, I get it. There's no network deal in the U.S. But honestly, the 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 main, the big, you know, the diehard boxing fan base, they watch the WBSS. So as long as you're in good standing with those guys, those guys will help announce to everybody else, hey, this guy really is fucking good, man. That's this is the point. guy you want to watch. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree with them keeping guys out of the tournament just based on that. Gilberto Ramirez especially. Yeah, I, you know. Jose Ramirez I can kind of understand because you're profiting money off a guy that – you can put in, in, in Southern California. Make money on the gate, baby. Yeah, you, you sell 14,000, 15,000 tickets. You know, he, he's a lucrative fighter for them. Yeah. But, you know, it, it makes zero sense with Zerto. This guy's career is fucking languished into nothing. I Three years ago, it was like, oh, man, remember we're talking about wow, Zerto and Calum Smith are beelining for each other. Look at both of them now. <laughs> I mean, could anybody care? Two, I, I could give – Zero fucks about what the two of them are doing right now. Well, the only line that they would have met each other was in the World Boxing Super Series. Exactly. You and, know? And, uh, who knows if that final's ever going to get announced, so. Cool. We'll be on standby. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, let's get to some news and notes. All right, so we've been out of uh, the podcast business for the last two weeks, and it became official that September 15th on HBO Pay-Per-View from Las Vegas, Nevada, we will see the rematch of Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin for the ring WBC and WBA middleweight championship of the world. Then this came down to the final hour. Um, Golden Boy, Canelo Alvarez, Eric Gomez, Oscar De La Hoya and company putting it out there that the final offer to Gennady Golovkin was for him to have a 42.5% split 
while Canelo Alvarez would get a 57.5% split. Gennady Golovkin said, no, no dice. I said that I would back off my 50-50 demands, and I'll go as far as 45%, and that's it. And then the fight was made. Golden Boy kind of tried to keep the narrative that it was still that it was 42.5%, but no, the fight was made with Gennady Golovkin getting that 45% because Tom Loeffler and Gennady Golovkin and company told Golden Boy, listen, we will sign the contract right now if it's at 45%, and it happened. And now people may say, oh, you know, you know, Triple G's being greedy, and he didn't deserve that because Canelo's clearly the A-side. To me, he got what he got. Good for him. Good for Canelo. The fight is made. That, to me, was grade A professional and should be repeated negotiating. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's all, all it was. That's all it was, and, you know, I, look – I think if if you sat down with Tom Loeffler and when they got the sixty forty offer, he was probably like, okay, I you know this is I think they've made some fucking concessions here. Sixty forty looks good for us, but you got to be honest and and you got to give to me, you know, credit goes to Loeffler too, but you got to give Triple G a ton of. I mean, this motherfucker sat he never figuratively sat down at the table with you know the two baddest Mexicans in the sport of boxing. One a fighter, the 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 ultimate A side in boxing right now, and Oscar De La Hoya, he fucking had a Mexican standoff with those two motherfuckers and won. Yeah, he won it. And, and to me, that I was, I saw the forty two and a half, and I said, shit. There's, I mean, if he doesn't sign this, I'm thinking in my head, Triple G's being a little fucking greedy if he's not signing. <laughs> they, they, you know, two and a half percent in a sixty million dollar fight is a million and a half dollars. <clears throat> A lot of dollars. You get extra. You get you get an extra two and a half on top of that. You're talking three million dollars. That's a lot of fucking money. And, and and I you know, I respect the hell out of Can- or Triple G for standing his fucking ground there and getting what he felt he deserved, whether you think he deserved it or not. As a fan, it doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah, go fuck yourself. I, I mean, I don't care what either one of them are getting paid. They're both getting a shit ton of money. Give us a good fight like the first fight, and I'm happy with it. But you know what, Vin? It, with all of that, like you don't have to play the part of Fanager. We can sit back and watch ever all the Fanagers over here, and we can watch sort of what's going on in the mix. You know, talking to certain people. You know, uh, and 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 gauging a you know a temperature. Is this thing hot? Is this thing cold? Seeing where it's going. At the end of the day, all of this fray, all of the arguing about who deserves what, and Triple G doesn't deserve shit, and Canelo's the A side. It doesn't matter. Everybody got what they wanted, and the fight is going to happen. So I thoroughly enjoyed this, I don't know, the last two or three months of promotion for this fight because that's what it was. They're like, oh, is there going to be a a formal uh, 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 press conference? Is there going to be a face-off? I don't know if any of this stuff's happening. These guys have done, in in the wake of all of this scandal and all of this drama, and Oscar seemingly just flying off the handle. Yeah. Triple G being a stubborn motherfucker. Canelo's kind of, you know, sitting back being silent a little bit. We don't know what's going to happen. They came to an agreement. And to me, like you said, based off of what their first fight was like and how good it was and with all this bullshit that surrounds this thing, man, now, for the first time, I am really, really looking forward yeah. to this rematch. Well, yeah. I mean, now the bullshit's out of the way. There's nothing more to discuss. I mean... If you, if you are still discussing and breaking down what you think, you know, either one of these sides should have done or should have got or this and that, I mean, dude, you got a problem. Yeah. Go get fucking checked out. 
Who cares? Yes. You you don't get a piece. Set on a baseball bat. <laughs> right. You you get no slice of this pie. No. This poontang pie ain't for you, friend. No. Keep it fucking moving. Show up on September 15th. Tune in around 11.30 Eastern time, yeah. and you'll get what you want. Yeah. Those are the same guys that, you know, invite like 20 people over to their house to split a pay-per-view. Right. And make them bring all the beer over. Well, that's me. Oh, yeah, that is you. All right. Well, I guess I'll see you on September 15th then, then. You'll bring the beer, right? <laughs> I will bring the beer. You provide the fucking uh, Jersey Mike's cold cuts, and I'll bring the beer. You got it. All right. Sounds like a deal. Um, all right. So now that this thing is going to be made um, and the fight is officially announced, we now know, then, that Superfly 3 has been greenlit. Yeah, right. Even though Sarissa Kat Sorung Visai has a homecoming fight in the mix and will not be rematching Juan Francisco Estrada. We are hearing grumblings. It's not yet official for September 8th, the weekend before, uh, potentially at the StubHub Center in Carson, California on HBO. We could possibly see in the headliner of Superfly 3, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Juan Francisco Estrada Part 2. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and act like that hasn't been one of the top three fights that uh, rematches that I've wanted to see in boxing over the last five years since we've started doing the show, basically. But this is, I think, this is all wrong for Chocolatito, man. It's got to be at 112, dude. You know, I you know I hate to say it. You know, it can't be at 115. I know this thing's called Superfly, but at 115, Chocolatito doesn't stand a chance, dude. I mean, I can't remember what he was supposed to fight a couple months ago. Maybe I don't. I can't remember what it was. Either way, that doesn't matter. He didn't step into the ring because there's some issues going on with Chocolatito. His his fucking head is scrambled. At the moment, I you know, a fight with Juan Francisco Estrada at this point, I don't think it's the type of bruising, destructive puncher that Sorung Vise is where he gets him out of there in fucking three rounds or four rounds. This could be a sustained eight to ten round beating that a guy like Chocolatito, where he's at in his career, he don't he doesn't need that. Well, hey, fortunately for for I, cho- for, for Chocolatito, Estrada doesn't start fighting until the sixth round. Exactly. So he'll <laughs> he'll he'll end up you know, sustaining more of a fucking beating than he needs to. He'll win the first half of the fight, though. How much you want to bet? Yeah, you're probably right. He probably <laughs> win. He probably win the three of the first four rounds, and then it's going to start. You know, yeah. shifting the other direction. I agree. Uh, as much as I'm a you know a bloodthirsty you know, let me see a throwdown fucking battle when it comes to the sport of boxing. I got to have a little compassion for the uh, the miniature Nicaraguan. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to see uh, you know an all time great future Hall of Famer. Um, that, that has been through, you know, a long, long, um, you know, career with many, many punches thrown at the, at the smaller weight classes. Running into a guy like Ron, you know, Juan Francisco Estrada that fights in such a way and is, you know, he's not as worse for wear. You know, Estrada suffered so many injuries over the years that there's been these little gaps in his career. And, you know, he's been recovering from it. He just hasn't taken the beating that way, even though he... He's a handful of years younger. He is, and and... You know, he just doesn't have the, you know, the mileage that that Chocolatito has at this point. And, you know, when somebody reaches that precipice and then takes like bludgeonings, like (laughs) while they're sort of teetering, you know, getting ready to be pushed off the proverbial edge, um, you know, that's even tougher. So Juan Francisco Estrada, Roman Chocolatito, Gonzalez, part two. I mean, who knows? There's other names, uh, you know, attached to this for right now. I just find it more, you know more interesting to me about this entire Superfly 3 thing is it just speaks to 
where HBO's at with their commitment to boxing and where their budget's at, yeah. that, that they needed this possible, you know, this potential $100 million pay-per-view to foot the bill to have a fight the week before. Otherwise, nope, nope, we don't have any money, man. That's a fucking joke, man. I, I, to me, the fact that Canelo Triple G2 was even an HBO, you know, event, I, 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 I they're just to me, they're, they, they've lost it. They've lost everything. And, and I'll be honest, listening or watching that Josh Taylor fight this weekend and listening to Al Bernstein call blow for blow and just thinking about every other announcing crew. And, and yes, Al's on the Showtime crew, but just thinking about how a fight should be called, Al fucking nailed it dead on the head. And, you know, absolutely no bias towards anybody calling the fucking score as it should be. You know, when a biased person comes on the broad comes on that broadcast, he'll let them say what they're going to say. And then he'll say, yeah, but it's kind of more like this. I think you're being a little biased there. Well, that's fine. You know, you got that's the type of shit that we hear with HBO now. It's this narrative driven boxing. They don't really give a shit that to me. They're just. I, I don't need them. There, there's plenty of other outlets offering it. Go away. Just yeah. go away. Yeah, I mean, dude, pay-per-view is pay-per-view. It can just be on pay-per-view, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be HBO in front of it. Oh, HBO is bringing the cameras, then. Yeah, okay, couldn't, couldn't be just a Golden Boy uh, 360 Promotions pay-per-view? No, no. It had to be a pay-per-view because of Max Kellerman's yeah, of salary, then. Yeah, awesome. Dude, just to get his fucking ego and his head through the scales, they have to pay a fucking fine. <laughs> You know what um, I mean? So that fucking guy can he can take a hike before the rest of them. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's close the show real quick, Vin. We were uh, you know on hiatus for a little while while Errol Spence uh, dispatched of Mister Ocampo. Terrence Crawford recently fought, and then the boxing conversation in the wake of Errol Spence's first round knockout out of a complete bum. Um, <laughs> it all just, all of a sudden turned into this. Oh, who would win, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford? Look, I'll break it down to brass tacks for you, okay? Uh-huh. What was learned in that fight was Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, just like in Terrence Crawford's previous fight, are the two best 147-pounders on the planet. Didn't we know that going in? Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did, okay? Everybody else is on the peripheral. <clears throat> There's like a, a B level that includes the likes of Amir Khan and Sean Porter and Danny Garcia and Jesse Vargas. Keith and... Thurman. <laughs> Have you talked to Keith recently? Uh, I... He dropped an elbow on a, on a gator in Florida last week. <laughs> Did you see that Did the video? the gator steal his flute? Have you seen that video? No. I think it's fake as hell, but it, I shit you not. It is a. It looks like a mixed dude with long hair, that, that ugly, gross patch of hair that Keith Thurman grows. In the, I mean, it looks like it's from a distance, but it looks exactly like Keith Thurman. <laughs> and his boy's in the water swimming to the shore, and there's a fucking gator creeping behind him. So this dude starts picking up rocks and throwing them in, and he's trying to scare the gator off. The gator gets close enough, and this motherfucker just goes, Macho Man, Jimmy Superfly Snooka, just fucking drops an elbow right on this gator's fucking snout. And I couldn't help but watching, I'm like, is that Keith? I think that's Keith. That alone, then, keeps him nestled in between that A and B level. Right. Even though he's not in the ring fighting, even though Keith one time now coming into maybe a half a time a year, <laughs> Thurman, you know, um, I think elbowing, uh, wrestling Gators, climbing Mount Everest and meeting his wife at the peak, um, playing the recorder 
for the Philharmonic Orchestra <laughs> and all these things that he's doing on the side. He's experiencing life. He's becoming so much more cultured. And when he comes back to the ring, then I think that his worldly experience in all the situations he's being, I mean, what it takes to get to the top of Mount Everest alone, what it takes to wrestle an alligator alone must catapult Keith Thurman into the conversation with Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. I'm glad you're starting to see things my way, bud. You know what, Vin? I have not been a believer. I haven't. I that really, elbow drop will make you a believer. I haven't even seen it enough. It's making me a believer. Just here, you could have told me anything. <laughs> you know? Oh, Keith Thurman fucking caught an airplane out of the sky with his bare hand and took a bite out of the tip. I can't wait till he comes back, buddy. <laughs> All right, so Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford. First off, will it be made? Uh, yeah, uh, it's, I think it's a long way away. I think if you're talking about it today, don't expect it tomorrow because it ain't fucking coming. You 2020. Might, yeah, 2020 if you're lucky end of 2020, I think. You're going to see Errol Spence run through the PBC gauntlet they're going to make as much money in-house as they can. Uh, same as fucking top rank with Bud Crawford. I think there's at least three, maybe four fights before that even becomes a fucking reality or a part of the, the you know, serious discussions. I think that the any you know the inactivity of the PBC welterweights, what we know about their contract, seeing a guy like Amir Khan sort of, you know, splitting off a little bit, hearing that Sean Porter is looking for a way out, hearing that Keith Thurman may just be staying out of the game to get out of his contract. I think the people that want to go ahead and pigeonhole the the path to Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford being that Spence is going to fight all these guys and that Terrence Crawford's only got he's, – he's, he's going to have to rematch the same guy five times <laughs> because top rank doesn't have any competition for him. I'll find somebody. They're sorely mistaken on this, I think. I think it may take two years to make the fight, yeah. but I think there's going to be enough people coming free and cupping, coming up around 147 pounds that'll get Terrence Crawford a couple meaningful fights before this fight with Errol Spence happens. And guess what? I'm still not sold on, call me cynical, that by the time that this thing marinates and gets to the point that it's supposed to be, that Errol Spence hasn't already made the voyage up to 154 pounds. Well, yeah, and don't think in the back of, you know, top rank mind, that's that's not there. That's not a little thought in their head that says, you know, we should delay this as long as we can because once Errol Spence creeps on 30 years old like Terrence Crawford is right now, Mm, it's going to be awful hard for him to make that weight. I, I, you know, if he's making that weight past the age of, of 30, I will be fucking shocked. Yeah. So will I, because you know, a 33 year old Terrence Crawford, the way that he fights, Oh, he'll be still in his prime. Yeah. He, he, look, he's, he's at a comfortable weight where he doesn't have to struggle one bit to get where he's, he's walking around naturally. And he may be cutting 10, 15 pounds to maybe. make weight. Maybe. I think there's a lot of interesting ways to break this thing down. I just think it's really premature to sit here and say, you know, exactly how this fight would play out. You know what I mean? And to be able to, like, plot out exactly, oh, this advantage, we'll give this. Guys, they're not fighting for two years. No. At least. Okay? Just, just wait. Yeah. Be patient. Pump the brakes. Oh. Well, then cue the music. I guess it's the final segment of episode 209. Say it ain't so, Ken. As we bid farewell to one of the boxing game's all-time greats, Vin. One of the greatest 168-pounders to ever lace up the gloves, then. A legend. A legend in his own mind. First ballot Hall of Famer. And in the hearts of all of us. <laughs> and I know you're going somewhere to make-
we bid farewell to the one, the only, Paul Smith Jr. Shed a tear, folks. This is for you, Paul Smith Jr., for gracing us with the memories of boxing legends of days before. Somebody, just not us. Always, always be in our hearts, Paul Smith Jr. <laughs> this one's for you. We'll see you on the other side. Muchas gracias, everybody.